The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. Stay tuned, because it's on now. The Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickerson. <laughs> This day will go down in history as precedent-shattering. John Bickerson is smiling. Despite the lateness of the hour, the fact that he has had perhaps the hardest day of his life at the office, John Bickerson is smiling. Why? Tell us, John. Two weeks vacation with pay. Wait till I tell Blanche, brother, how I've longed for this. I'll sew myself into the bedsheets and sleep for ten days. John? Hello, Blanche. How is my beautiful wife? What? Would you like me to bring you a glass of milk and a cookie? And here's a little present for you. You look wonderful, honey. Oh, this is awful. What's the matter? This morning I burned my hand on the stove. I ripped my only pair of nylons. My inlay fell out, and now you come home drunk. What are you talking about? I'm not drunk and you know it. Then why are you so nice to me? What's the use? When I come home tired, can't smile, she beefs. When I come home and try to be pleasant, she accuses me. Put out the lights. You're not going to bed with your shoes on. Yes, I am. I work like a horse. I might as well sleep like a horse. Why did you bring me a present? What have you been up to, John? Bring his wife a present. Oh, stop it. A husband doesn't bring his wife a present unless he's done something wrong. I've brought you a million presents and I've never done anything wrong. Never. Not since the day I married you. I wish you'd let me sleep. Sure. Sleep. That's the easiest way out when you've got a guilty conscience. Blanche, I tell you, I haven't got a guilty conscience. Then why did you buy me an expensive present? It isn't an expensive present. It's the crummiest present I could find. I could believe that, all right. What is it? Why don't you open it and see? I bet you've gone and thrown away your money on some stupid thing I can't even use. Oh, you can use it fine. A home beauty outfit. It's got everything, just what you need. Wrinkle cream, freckle remover, hair darkener, false eyelashes, chin reducing strap. What kind of a present do you call this? What are you hinting at? How did I know what was in it? Nobody would use this but a homely woman. Oh, that's not true. All women use it. They do not. Only the homely ones and I wouldn't touch it. The sales girl in the drugstore said she uses it all the time, and she's not half as homely as you are. What? I mean, you're just as pretty. And that's just about what happened. You walked into a drugstore, saw a pretty face, and didn't know what you were buying. I didn't look at her face at all. If you were going to buy me a present, why didn't you buy me something I could use? Why didn't you get me an ounce of taboo? 
What's that? My favorite perfume. Well, you've got a dresser full of perfume. Taboo, Sabu, Snafu, Sterno. Enough perfume for any woman alive. Look at those bottles. They're all empty, and it's all your fault. You left the corks out, and it evaporated. I leave the cork out of my bourbon, don't I? Well, what about it? That never evaporates. You never give it a chance. I don't see why I should have to do without because of your nasty habits. What do you think makes a thing dry up, John? Wish I knew. Don't be so funny. Oh, I'm not funny. I'm sleepy. You know I worked at the office 18 hours without a let-up? That's what you said you did. That's what I did. I did it for what I thought was a good reason, but now I'm sorry. Why? Forget it. What is it, John? What happened? (gasps) You lost your job. I didn't lose my job. I got two weeks vacation with pay. It's the first vacation I've had in seven years, and I wanted to enjoy it. But no, you wouldn't stand for that, would you? How can you say that, John? Of course I want you to enjoy yourself. Where's the money? In my wallet. Two whole weeks pay. Now, do you mind if I rest? You know, John, I haven't had a vacation either. A change of scene will do us both a world of good. If you're so tired, there's only one thing in the world for you to do. He's doing it. Where did he say that money was? Oh, here it is. Two weeks' pay. Blanche, put that money back. Oh, I I thought you were sleeping, dear. What were you doing with that money? What's the matter, Blanche? I'm not doing anything. I'm just counting it to see if they gave you the right amount. It's the right amount. Put it back and go to sleep. You needn't talk like that. I wasn't going to steal it. Who said you were? Just like you to make a crack like that. I didn't make any cracks at all. Go on. Call the police. Have me arrested. Put me in prison. Nobody's putting you in prison. They'll lock me up in solitary confinement. Rats running all over me in my cell. And I stand helpless, shaking, behind iron bars. No way to escape. Blanche. Oh, why don't you send me a hacksaw, John? You're getting hysterical. Well, don't go accusing me of taking your money. It's half mine anyway. It's all yours. All I want is sleep. I don't see why we can't go away on a vacation for a few days. You go. I told you I'm going to do nothing but sleep for the whole two weeks. You'll have to get up sometime. Not even once. How are you going to collect your unemployment insurance? What unemployment insurance? You're going to be out of work for two weeks. You can't collect unemployment insurance if you've got a job. If you're not working, you haven't got a job, have you? That's different. Why? I don't know why. Nobody does it, that's all. Well, what's the good of unemployment insurance if you don't get any money when you're unemployed? Being on vacation is not the same as being unemployed. Don't tell me. What? Clara's husband, Barney, has never had a job his whole life, and he collects his unemployment check every week. He can't collect any checks if he doesn't work. I thought you said they only pay you when you don't work. That's right. But you have to work before you can be out of work so you have a legitimate claim for the money you earned that you don't get. I don't get it. Oh, leave me alone. And I'm telling you now, John, you've got two weeks off and you're going to do one of two things. Do you hear me? I hear you. Either you start collecting your unemployment insurance or else you fill in those two weeks with another job. Another job? This is my vacation. I don't care. It won't hurt you to work those two weeks. And we could use the money. (sighs) Okay, I'll get another job in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. What? 
Go on. Get up. Get a job, you loafer. What kind of a job can I get at two o'clock in the morning? What's the matter with being a night watchman? I won't do it. I won't do it. You've got no right to deprive me of my two weeks off. I don't care what happens. I won't get another job. All right, then. Promise you'll take me away on a vacation. There's no way out. I promise. Will you swear? Every minute that we're away. I know where we'll go. Lake Tahoe. I'll only have to buy a few more dresses, and you can wear your dungarees all the time. Okay. Just tell them you came in from fishing, and if it gets cold, I've got just the thing. Let me show you what I picked up on sale yesterday. I don't want to see it. Just look at this, John. Isn't it stunning? What's so stunning about a bath rug? It's a fur cape, silly. Well, where's the fur? Well, that's the way it's supposed to look. It's the very latest style, sheared beaver. Sheared beaver? It's been clipped. So have I. You have not. This is worth every penny, John. You know I'm a good judge of furs. Oh sure. The past two years you bought a bald mink and a plucked skunk. Well, what's wrong with them? The mink stinks and the skunk shrunk. Blanche, how much did you pay for this one? Only ninety-four dollars. Ninety-four dollars? Oh, Blanche, you didn't. Get that money back. You hear me? Get that money back. Don't get hysterical. As soon as the Blanche, how could you do this to me? I deny myself everything. I've been sewing heels on your old pocketbooks and wearing them for shoes. I've been eating the padding out of my overcoat shoulders to save on breakfast cereal. I don't even drink my bourbon anymore. I just chew the cork and hit myself on the head with the bottle. I never spend a nickel on myself. You bought a bag of popcorn yesterday. That wasn't popcorn. My teeth fell out from malnutrition. I'm warning you, Blanche. Blanche, you're not going to get away with it. What do you want? Hello, Bickerson. This is Mr. Guernsey. Yes. Oh,、uh, oh, hello, Mr. Guernsey. I hate to be calling you at this hour, Bickerson, but something very urgent has come up. What happened? I just received word that our Chicago plant burned down, and we weren't covered. This morning, I filed bankruptcy proceedings, and I'm closing up for good. What? I trust you'll find a new position, and I do wish you good luck. Well,、uh, thanks. By the way, Bickerson, would you mind sending back that two-week salary I gave you? I need every penny I can scrape together. Yeah,、um, sure. I'll send it.、Uh, goodbye. Well, did you hear that, Blanche? No. What was it? My boss, Mr. Guernsey. I lost my job. <gasps> wonderful. Wonderful. What's so wonderful about it? Now you can collect your unemployment insurance. Oh, Blanche. Good night, John. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner program. It was just not very long ago when、uh, one of my guests this hour was、uh, on the show.、Um, I can't believe how prolific she is, but、uh, we're going to talk about her latest book, which is、um, that she's written in concert with.、Uh, well, the the two co-authors are Danielle Clayton and Sona. Cherapatra. The name of the book is "The Rumor Game." It's、uh, being described as an edge-of-your-seat social thriller, and we're going to find out how this is、uh, different than Danielle's last book when she was、uh, here with us just a few weeks ago. 
and uh, much, much more. They join me now by phone. I have both Danielle and Sona on the line. And uh, Danielle, Sona, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. Um, how did the two of you get together to write this book? Uh, so we met in our grad program at the New School. We were both getting our MFA in uh, writing for young adults and children. And we collaborated previously on a project called Tiny Pretty Things and its sequel, Shiny Broken Pieces. And that ended up on Netflix as an original series. So we thought we'd do it again with The Rumor Game, which hits a lot of similar notes. There's three narrators. It's sort of a fishbowl environment. Um, lots of high pressure and big stakes and um, sort of the path of a rumor from spark to blaze through the lives of these three teenage girls. And and who was that? Was that, Danielle, was that you? That was Sona. That was Sona. Okay. Well, let me, let me ask about this Netflix series thing. Um, now, do you have to write for the series or... Um, once they once they pick up uh, a property, do they bring writers in and they have to learn how to r- write these characters and storylines going forward? Absolutely, that's what it is. So when Tiny Pretty Things got adapted um, for the small screen for TV and Netflix picked it up, they had a writer's room. And that writer's room sort of took our world and our characters and, um, you know, translated them for the small screen and and took some liberties. And so it's always a writer's dream to have their work um, find its way to TV and film. And so it was such a dream for us to go on set and feel like we were in a dollhouse of our own imaginations. Um, But yeah, it was, it was, it was a great experience. We weren't involved, but um, we got to sit back and watch with the audience. Yeah, but when you imagine your stories being told on the big or small screen, don't you sort of imagine it in your own words? Is it a little bit weird to see someone else take your ideas and move forward with them? Uh, yeah, it definitely is a little odd, and some things do get lost in translation. But I'm not saying also I'm not saying it's a bad thing or or that it's unpleasant. But I would think it would be unusual that it be a little different than the way you imagined it. Yeah, I think it's always going to be different than what you imagine in your head. But it's also really cool. Like when we went to the set and we saw Bette walking around, the actress who played her, she was pretty much exactly what we had pictured in her head. So it was really (laughs) surreal. Uh, Like a little piece of your brain that has leapt out of your head into the universe. Um, And um, But... Typically, that's how it works with L.A. when they adapt something. Although now that's starting to change, there are writers who are also adapting their own work, like Victoria Schwab and Jenny Han, for example, in the YA space. Well, and, and I know there are some uh, some bestsellers that have been doing screenplays for made-for-TV movies and things of their own work. And, and, and I, think, I think you're right. I think that's happening more and more. Um, more about the young adult social thriller The Rumor Game from Danielle Clayton and Sona Cherapatra. Straight ahead. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Say, objection. Hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. More about the young adult social thriller The Rumor Game from Danielle Clayton and Sona Cherapatra. Straight ahead. Let's let's talk about the new book, The Rumor Game. How, um, if this too is for a young uh, adult audience. Um, how is it the next thing from from what you had done with? Uh, um, Tiny pretty things and and um, oh shoot, what's, what's shiny the broken other? pieces the sequel. I yeah, know yeah, it's hard to keep it all together. Um, I think it's a natural progression. Um, we really figured out what worked for us, which is telling stories about very complicated girls, girls who don't always do the right thing. Um, and we wanted to look at another insular world. Tiny pretty things uh, takes place in a, a boarding uh, ballet school. And this takes place in the backdrop of a D.C. elite private school like the one I went to that in, the, in D.C. where you have the kids of politicians and diplomats and very important people that go there because that was a little bit of my experience growing up. Um, it creates a pressure cooker and in a, in a political environment where, like, you can't just be a teen who messes up because when you mess up, it ripples into the newspapers. It ripples into the political arena where your parents are. Um, and so we really wanted to deep dive what it's like to be in one of these schools and how what the things that people say about you, how those things can snowball and really, really, really affect your mental health and also your social standing and your parents. And, like, it's just this big just mess um, and tangle. <laughs> I, re- I remember uh, ventriloquist Jeff Dunham and his character Walter doing a set in uh, Washington, D.C., and one of Walter's lines was, what happens in Washington stays on YouTube. That's right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And it follows. And these are kids, these are teens that are already boneheads, right? And, like, that are not making the best decisions, but then they're in a pressure cooker where they're, they're supposed to be perfect. And we also wanted to talk about how the things people say about you now with the with the internet and social media follow you home how how is how is that akin to or apart from cyberbullying it's the same thing that's that's what i that's what i'm trying to figure out i mean i understand you know rumors get started and you know they circulate there's a lot of different ways that can happen but isn't that at the heart of what modern bullying is? Absolutely. And it's now taken an even bigger turn because now the bully in the schoolyard was the bully in the schoolyard that you saw when you got to school and during the day. Now the bully in the schoolyard is on your phone, is on your social media, in your DMs, in your text messages, in your emails, right? And it doesn't stop. And we wanted to try to have a conversation with both parents and their teenagers, um, to shed a light on how this storm can really, really affect um, a young person. Um, I don't think parents actually know what's happening um, because they don't see what's going on on their kids' phones um, in the same way or what, how that ecosystem is created 
through all of these different apps. Well, and kids are reluctant to report even uh, bad things that happen to them. Yeah, I have a 12-year-old, and uh, the whole concept of all of it is really frightening to me at so many levels. But, like, I think that's what's critical about, like, something like a book like this is a conversation starter. Um, It can be used to have that conversation with your, your kid or with your friends or with your teachers and things like that because... Um, the more we talk about this kind of stuff and what kids are actually experiencing, it, the more we're going to be able to address it and give them the skills they need to cope with this kind of thing, especially. Yeah, when I when I first looked at the title, The Rumor Game, and, and I was thinking about rumors and, and how they impact us, and, and I couldn't help thinking about this whole idea of fake news and alternative facts and and why rumors are so much more insidious than misinformation. Absolutely. And because do, do you understand not, what I mean by that? I do. I mean, you could almost say that the two things were the same, but rumors for some reason seem worse than just flat-out lies. Right, because there's, like, no way to counteracted, right? My mother always says to me that there are three sides to every story, right? Yours, mine, and the actual truth, and we meet somewhere in the middle. And I think that teens are figuring out that what people say about you can literally become the truth that lives in people's minds forever, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that is a very overwhelming feeling um, because it puts takes power away from you, and we're not giving them the social media literacy to be able to recognize lies, misinformation, fake news, um, sensational reporting, bias, and we really wanted to dig into that, right? Like, so that you can look at the comments, the social medias in the book and say, wow, look how this rumor has spiraled out into value judgments, into all kinds of vitriol, and look how the newspapers are reporting it, how they are sensationalizing it, or why there's a bias on certain kinds of kids when things are reported. So we really wanted to make it a sort of a treasure trove for conversation between young people and the adults in their lives around this topic of the things that people say and how they spiral out. I've been um, watching some of the coverage of what's going on in Ukraine, Mm -hmm. and and I, I have just become so skeptical of what I see on television now um when i when i first started seeing russian troops moving into areas uh, that were ukraine adjacent all i could think about was wag the dog mhm and I, I, I just went back and rewatched it <laughs> just to see why i kept getting that impression and uh, unfortunately it didn't help <laughs> <laughs> it it might have made things a little worse um but that's the problem we have now is the way we get our information is very difficult to vet. Absolutely. And, and I think the thing is, so much of it is is in the framing, and the framing is very specific depending on what you look at. Um, if you're talking about the Ukraine, for example, um, we're seeing a lot of how Poland is welcoming refugees and things like that. 
but there are a lot of black and Asian folks that are in the Ukraine, some of them because they were there to help as doctors and nurses and things like that. And when they go to the borders, they're being turned away because yeah, they look like a Ukrainian in the sense that media shows us. So it's, it's really interesting the way things are framed. And I think that works across the board in the news media, but also in everyday life, the way social media is framed. And especially in this book, like, the way, people have agendas with what they're saying. And that's the scary thing when th- things get out of control and you can't control um, the agenda, like, about your own self in, and your own identity. That's really rough. And I think it's especially rough for a teenager when mental health at that age is so fragile and so much of their brains are still being formed. I, I had to laugh. One of my favorite uh, Facebook memes is a, is a quote that says, you can't always believe what you read on the Internet, and it's signed with a portrait of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> and every time I see it, as silly as it is, I, I have to sort of laugh because there are going to be people out there who believe Abraham Lincoln said that about the Internet. That is true. Oh, boy. Yep. And we'll know some of those people. <laughs> I'm not giving out any names, but... <laughs> But but that's but that's so troubling because um, we don't have a healthy skepticism. We don't double check facts. We just start believing whatever we decide to believe, and anybody that doesn't share our beliefs is the enemy. Right. Completely. So can you um, give me just, uh, without brushing into any spoiler alerts, a, a little bit of a synopsis of uh, of this new book that the two of you have written, The Rumor Game? Sure. It's about three girls and the destructive path a rumor takes and wreaks havoc on their lives and communities. And it's set in a posh D.C. private school, um, where everything that you say about other people has devastating consequences. So, full of drama, but it's full of real-world um, discussions about the impact and legacy of the things that you say and how the Internet is forever, even if kids don't understand that. Is the, is the rumor, it's, it's a single rumor as I understand it, and it wreaks all this this havoc. Does the rumor stay intact, or does it go through that that? Remember that experiment we used to do, where they'd line up ten people and say something at one end, and you know, and they'd pass it down. And, the telephone game, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. By, by the time it got down to the tenth person, you know, you had it written down what was originally said, and the two things are nothing alike. Um, did it experience any of that um, uh, decay as it moved from place to place? Yeah, 100%. It twists and morphs, and <laughs> as we talked about, people Good. have agendas when they're, when they're saying things, when they're verbalizing things, when they're putting it into the universe. They, they have a specific take, and they, 
twist and morph some things on purpose and some things get lost in translation. I think it's about the way people create truths for you in a lot of ways. And I don't know which one wants to tackle this, but I'm fascinated by um, any time two or more people get together to write a story or, 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 or even a song or a play or a movie or, or whatever, but working um, collaboratively. Uh, writing is typically such a solitary thing. How do, how do, you, how do you work together? On sure. something like this. It's kind of fun because it's two brains are better than one, right? We create a roadmap. We set out to, we're on the same page about what is this book about? What is the essential question? What are we trying to leave behind as a question for teenagers to really think about? And then we create a map with chapters. We take responsibility for certain characters. And we write and then we edit it and talk through sort of, how it's all developing. So it's actually quite a bit of fun. Does it, um, does it ease the load or does it add a little bit more because you have to sort of negotiate to get everything into one voice? I think it really depends on who you're collaborating with. If you're comfortable with your collaborator and you know that you're on the same page, so to speak, about a lot of things, then it definitely eases the load because um, you can split the workload, you can um, play to your strengths and really handle what you can do best and let the per- other person come in and do what they do best as well. And and you can leave holes in the manuscript and say, I'm sorry, my brain just can't handle this. Can you take over <laughs> here? And, and that's my favorite part of that process for sure. Yeah, I would think, I, I would think that'd be fun. When um, When did the writing for this take place before the pandemic <laughs> was it was it that long ago because what i was getting at is i was assuming because of the release date that it may have taken place during the pandemic and i was going to bring up a whole bunch of things about emails and zoom meetings and you know that kind of collaborate collaborating online but it was it's it's been that long in the works it has because you know the pandemic changed supply chain issues it bumped pub dates it moved books around um it you know it changed everyone's lives (laughs) essentially um and so we've been working on this book for a long time and then the pandemic sort of like like landed in everyone's lap and things got shuffled. So, but collaboration is kind of easy even when you are separated because you've got you've got Google Docs, you can send emails back and forth, you can share documents and so um I feel like today's software is really really great at allowing for collaboration. And now the other two books that you did together um, one was the sequel to the other. Right. Is there a progression to this book and or is this book part of, is there more to come? Currently, this book is a standalone, so it's it's a separate, series, a separate world than Tiny Pretty Things and Shiny Broken Pieces. 
but it's also it, um, it echoes a lot of the notes that that book hits with the three narrators, with the insular world, with the thriller elements to it. But but it's its own project with its own world, um, and that's the DC world of politics. So um, while it hits a lot of the same vibes, it's definitely a standalone. So um, that that just alters my question. What's next for the two of you? My next book comes out in May, and I'm super excited about it. It's called The Marvelers, and it's the future of magic school. It's about kids from all over the world going to a magic school in the sky, and it deep dives sort of what, is, what does magic look like around the world, and how does one build a community of all of these different kinds of magic wielders. So I'm very excited about that coming in May. And that's called The Marvelers? Yes, it is. The Marvelers. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. And my next book comes out in July. It's called How Maya Got Fierce. It's another YA contemporary. And it's pitched as The Bold Type Meets Younger. It's about a 17-year-old girl who gets her dream job at a magazine called Fierce. And her bosses all think she's 26. And her parents don't know about it. So she's in big trouble. With the... Um with the previous two books that that the two of you worked on together that are, are now part of a Netflix series um, how did you find out that it was going to get picked up by Netflix our agents let us know and said hey good news i mean we knew that it was being shopped in hollywood um and we were really hopeful and we had heard you know you know, producers were really excited about it, but, you know, you never get too, too, um, you know what I mean, was happy. The, Don't count your chickens. Was that, was that something that your your agent just said, hey, this is good, we're going to shop this around, or was it something you had hinted that you would like to see happen? I think it's both. Um, <laughs> we told our agent that this was one of our goals for our work, um, and our film agent was like, this is very commercial. We feel like this would make for a really great TV show or a really great film. Let's see if other producers, let's see if producers believe that. And we got lucky, and they did, um, because ballet makes for great drama um, on the small screen and on the big screen. So we got lucky. Well, and, and it, it is by nature visual. That's right. Exactly. So it, it worked out, and now we have a Netflix original series. Now, what about the rumor game? Is that, uh, I'm, I'm just guessing it doesn't have the same kind of visual impact that your previous books did. I think um, these days with social media, you can play with that in a lot of different ways, visually as well. Um, we've seen it in, especially teen media right now, like they have to incorporate social media into the world because kids live and breathe social media right now. So I think there's definitely ways that this can play out on screen in a very visual manner. Well, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I'm glad you explained that because I was trying to imagine how this would play out as, as visually as what your previous books did. Um, do, do you have that in mind that you would like to see this uh, uh, end up on the screen as well? I mean, that's the dream. 
we'd love it because I think every writer would love to have their work interpreted for other mediums. Um, and I do think that it could be an impactful story for a lot of teenagers who are trying to figure out their relationship to social media and also really impactful for parents trying to connect with their teen who's always online to get a taste of sometimes what's going on and what, you know what I mean, how dark it can get so that they can have resources ready and have conversations with their teen about how to navigate these very fraught questions because it's not going away. We can try to ignore it, but social media is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, um, and teens are spending more and more time online. We're, we're going to have to get some social media literacy on both sides, adults and teens. Is, is anybody doing anything about social media literacy presently? I, I'm not sure. I would have to ask teachers and librarians in schools now. I think right now everyone's trying to keep their lives together with a little bit of duct tape, right? And, and get yeah, off well, that's and get kind of yeah, that's kind of my impression is is that it's uh, that it's still very much the wild west. Right, it is. From what I've seen as a parent, there's very little being done so far to really equip kids and teens to deal with all of it. Um, and, and, you know, just speaking as an adult myself, uh, we're not really taught to cope with it either. I think um, the simple solution is always like, oh, take a social media fast or a cleanse. But, um, but the long-running impact of it is something I think all of us are going to be grappling with for many years, especially during the pandemic when so much of our very existence is social media. Well, yeah, we didn't, we didn't pull back. We we went down to the deep end <laughs> um it's it, we're almost out of time and i i want as i always do to give you both an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work past present and future and we'll start with uh, danielle clayton um danielle do you have a website you'd like to share sure you can find me at danielleclayton.com or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brown Bookworm. That's where I lurk. And uh, my, my other guest, the uh, co-author of The Rumor Game, Sona Cherapatra. And, yeah, and you can find me on the web at sonacherapatra.com. I'm on Twitter at, at Sona C, that's S-O-N-A underscore C. And I'm on Instagram and also TikTok, although I'm not there very frequently, as well. So if you just Google my name, you'll see those. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking with both of you. Thanks so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. Good luck with the book. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for having us. Take care. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Fashion Radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck up. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Do you have feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila Tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. Is a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy, and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked. So what are you waiting for? Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila! 
from the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There was one time I really wanted revenge. Revenge. Telling you right now, boy, I hated that guy so much. And I got it. Got it good. See, I I had a snowball in my hand. And uh, I was going to hit Harold with the snowball, see. So Harold was coming down the street, and I was laughing to myself because I know how funny Harold is. See, every time you hit him with a snowball in the face, plop, he always says the same thing. says, hey, man, what you want to hit me in the face with a snowball for, man? You know, and I just laugh. Ah. So I'm just waiting for him, man. I got this light, fluffy snowball, you know, ready to hit him. And that's the rules of the game. You cannot hit a kid in the face with a slush ball. Slush ball, is, it has ice and water and gunk all in it, you know. And you, you can't hit a kid in the face with you. You cannot drop into those open galoshes either because it sends him home. You know, hey, what do you want to drop into the galoshes for? You know, you know. So, uh, I'm tickled to death, man, because I know it's a plop. Hey, man, what do you want to eat? And he's about three feet away, and I raise up to hit him. So I said, pow! On the side of the face, and it was stinging. And all the juice ran down in my underwear and everything. And it was ice all in my ear. Somebody hit me on the side of the face with a slush ball. And I looked around one eye, and there's old Junior Barnes just to laughing. Cosby, I got you good. I hit you real good, didn't I? And I said, hey, man, what you want to hit me on the side of the face with a slush ball for, man? And I picked up a snowball and I threw it at him and I missed him. And he started running. I said, Junior Bond, you come back. And I chased him. I threw another one at him. I couldn't catch him. And I cursed at him. I was so mad. You gunky! <laughs> you stink! Junior Bond, you gunk! Come back here. I'll punch you right about. Hit somebody in the face with a such ball. Let all that stuff go down in your underwear. And I didn't even care. I just sat right down in the snow. I was so mad. And it started to melt. (laughs) Right through my four pair of corduroys. And I didn't even care. Because I know when I go home, the only thing my mother is talking about, you dummy, how come you sit down in the snow and let it just melt right through your four pair of corduroys? Yeah, Bob, well, what do you care? That's all you care about. Somebody sit down in the snow and let it melt right through your four pair of corduroys. You don't care that a junior bar hit me on the side of the face with a sledge ball let all the gunk go down on my underwear. Because if you didn't care, you'd go out and get him. I'm going to get junior bars. I'm going to get you, Julian Barnes. Boy, I'm going to get you. And I started to make a snowball for Junior Barnes. I make a snowball that's so round and so perfect. It's got a little name inscribed. It says Junior Barnes. And I went out looking 
for Junior Barnes. Junior Barnes. <laughs> you gunky. Oh, Junior Barnes. And I couldn't find him. And it was 7.30. I have to get home before the monsters come out. And I took that snowball home and I put it in the freezer. And I waited. July. July 12th. My birthday. It was 104 degrees in the shade. Not a snowball in sight. Junior Barnes was sitting on the steps in front of my house. I was standing there with him. I had gone to great lengths to prove to Junior Barnes that I was his greatest friend. Let him drink out of my orange soda bottle without even wiping it off. <laughs> and old Junior Barnes just sitting there telling his little jokes. Ah. And I was laughing right with him. Junior Barnes, you are so funny. Ah. And I said, Junior Barnes, I'm going to the house and get an orange soda for us. You just wait right here. Ah. You gunky. <laughs> and I walked in the house and opened that freezer door and my mother had thrown the snowball away. <laughs> so I went back outside and I spit on him. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program.